Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm Sam, if we haven't met, by the way. I'm one of the team here at Northside. And, oh, wow, what a passage. This is, this is a non-Christian's favourite passage. When you hear Jesus talking to his followers and calling them hypocrites, a non-Christian looks at this and goes, amen, Jesus. You know, they probably start thinking, I can follow a guy like that. And so in order to challenge us this morning, I just wanted to use a couple of adjectives and uh, that they might apply to you. Feel free to put your hand up if, if you want. Uh, if I've missed one out, you can shout it out later or you can let me know after the service. But look, what, what do you call a bunch of lying, cheating, tax dodging, lustful, greedy, racist people who smoke too much, drink too much, eat too much, worry too much, and then gather together each week to remember that Jesus is the light of the world and that the world needs more light. What would you call a bunch of people like that? The church. (laughs) I miss anyone? (laughs) The church. Which, Look, if we can be real for a moment, that's probably how most of yours and my non-Christian friends see the church, right? I remember once um, our treasurer said, look, we need to be concerned about how we protect the reputational risk of the church. And I said to him, in the, in the eyes of the world, uh, I don't think the church has got much of a reputation. <laughs> the only reputation that the church has is exactly that, that in spite of all of that junk, if we're real about it, by God's grace, he loves us. By his grace, he loves us anyway, in spite of it. What a wonderful message for Christmas. In spite of all of that... God's with us anyway, in spite of that reality that, that, that he's with his church. You know, and I find it interesting when people talk about the church as an institution. You know, you've heard people say, and they often say to me, oh, Sam, the church should take a stand or the church should take this position or the ministry team should do this, to which I guess my response is, um, I or the ministry team is not the church. You are your church, remember? We are the church, <laughs> And what we are is we're a, we're a bunch of, if we're real about it, slightly dysfunctional people in need of grace, gathering together who agree on these two things, that God sent his son into the world in the form of Jesus Christ as an act of grace, and that we recognise we need to extend it to others. Wouldn't you agree? That's what church is. And it's, it's all about grace. Grace is like the oil in the machine. I don't, think, I don't think the machine of church would work if it weren't for grace, right? Because grace allows people who don't like each other to like each other. Grace allows people who don't get along to get along. I mean, the church would not stick together if it weren't for the grace that we have one another. Grace enables those who are different from each other to be with each other. And I think grace, wouldn't you agree, is the best opportunity for us to demonstrate God's love to a watching world. Grace grace is the best way for the church to be attractive. When people see grace extended to one another, it's attractive. That's how we've said in week one that Christianity exploded. People saw grace in the lives of people. So here's the question for us then. What if this Christmas, what if this Christmas, instead of just giving gifts to people, what if this Christmas you gave grace to someone in your life who doesn't expect it and really, if you thought about it, doesn't deserve it? Because that's the issue, isn't it, at Christmas? Isn't that what we feel? Isn't that the reality? Like I said last 
Sunday night at the amazing carols that we all had. Like, isn't that what Christmas does to us? Christmas has got that weird way of bringing real life to the forefront. And uh, as a pastor, like, on one hand, I go, yeah, extending grace to people is the greatest opportunity to demonstrate God's love to people and show God to people. But here's the rub. It's so difficult. Jesus, Jesus gives us the answer as to how to do it. He says in Matthew 7, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in everyone else's eye but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And I get to a passage like this, and if I've got to be real with you, I've been sitting on this for about three or four weeks, and I didn't really, I didn't really want to preach it. Because I can't tell you how difficult it is when, when you sit on a passage like that in front of a big screen that I've gotten to study and you start thinking about all the things that I need to tell the church that they need to, we, the church, that we need to be start doing in, in terms of extending God's grace. And I, I sit there and I think about the moments and the frustrations and the places and the spaces where I need to extend grace to other people. And if I'm real with you, I don't want to. And I, I was struggling because it's like, I don't want to extend grace to other people around me but then I've got to preach the sermon anyway. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? And as your pastor, I know that this is the issue. I, I know that for some of you, the greatest gift that any of you could receive this Christmas is not whether or not a certain present is underneath the tree, but it's whether or not a certain person is sitting at your table this Christmas, right? And it hurts, and I get it, church. It hurts because there are people that you are unreconciled with and Christmas brings it all right to the front of, of us all. And then Jesus has got the audacity in the midst of all of that pain to say, if you're a follower of mine, I expect you to take the first move. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> look, look at the speck of, don't, why are you looking at the speck of sawdust in everyone else's eye? To which you know, some of you are saying this morning, Jesus, it's more than a speck. This thing has been going on for years. Jesus, it's more than a speck. It, it hurts and it's painful. And I've been in therapy about it with people. And, and I've tried all I can to reach out to the person and all they ever do is bite me back. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? To which I think he would say to you, son, daughter, look, I get it. I, I, I understand. I understand that it hurts and I understand that it's painful and I understand that it, it would be costly if you make a first move. But here's the thing, son, daughter, it wouldn't be grace if it wasn't costly. Because remember, I said grace is always an expensive gift. Grace is always costly to the giver. It's shocking to the observer and it's traumatic to the receiver. It wouldn't be grace if it's not going to cost you something to extend it. It's always costly. And by the way, I always say God is always willing to swallow his own medicine because God demonstrated this first. He modelled it. What do we sing at Christmas time? What do we sing at Christmas time? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. Class, for bonus points, what's the next line? God and sinners reconciled. Reconciled, reconciled. To which you know, that, that whole carol is birthed, uh, birthed in 2 Corinthians 5, around 17, where where Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, which we love that bit. I love that bit. I'm a new creation. Lying, cheating, all of that sort of junk that I'm dealing with, I'm a new creation. There's the grace. But then it's this bit that I stick with, sticks with me and I get frustrated with because it says all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's the Christmas message. And then this next bit. And then gives us the ministry of Reconciliation. 
So there it is. I did all this for you. Wow, yes, I'm a new creation. By the way, you need to keep going and extending it. Pay it forward. I I expect you to be responsible for it. I give you the ministry of, of reconciliation. You take the first step. It's by grace that you've been saved. Now extend it. To which... I think when it comes to extending grace, we all get, we, we get stalled by this dynamic that happens when, we, when we, we want to extend grace to people or we're in a situation of unreconciliation. We get stalled by this, that it's possible that you can be right without grace, but you can't be reconciled. You can be right without grace, but you can't be reconciled. In fact, that's what some of you are dealing with this morning, right? Is that you're right. And the reason you're right is, is the whole reason why you're not reconciled. Because we think that we're right, and that's not leading to the reconciliation. And the frustrating thing with grace is that it's, it's not just a concept. Grace is invisible. And the frustrating thing about grace is grace only ever exists in the context of relationship. I mean, the only way that you receive grace is to experience grace, and the only way that you experience grace is in relationship. It's why, week one, John chapter one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, personal relationship, in order to extend grace. Is this making sense? You can never extend grace when there's unreconciliation and there's not relationship. And we get stuck because you can be right you can be absolutely right. We'll talk about that in a sec. You can be right without grace, but you can't be reconciled. God and sin are reconciled. Mm. Hey, that's what I really realised about Christmas. You know, in all of his glory and in all of his rightness, aren't you glad that in the message of Christmas, um, God didn't come to be right, but he came to reconcile? God came, he didn't come to be right, he came to reconcile. God's got absolute rightness in all of his holiness. We've got nothing on where he's at. He's the one who is right. And so here's the thing, because it's painful for us all. And look, this morning, I'm, I'm going to assume with whatever you're going through in that unreconciled relationship, and we've, we've got them all, it's Christmas, we know about it. I'm going to assume that you're right. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't have to be right or that you're wrong. or That's, that's not the point. Let's, let's, let's assume that, that you're right. But, but here's the question. The question's not about rightness. The question is, how do we find the resource to extend grace to someone in our life when either we objectively are right or we're convinced that we're right? <laughs> Normally for me, it's the latter of the two. How, how do we find the resource to extend grace? Because we know it's difficult when, when we're objectively right, we're in the right, or we're convinced that we're right. Jesus starts like this, straight up, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. What he's saying to you is, yeah, do, you, do you see what your heart is really like? Are you seeing what your heart is really like? The Greek word there for um, hypocrite, uh, well, the English word for hypocrite, uh, it's, it's really difficult to translate from the Greek. The Greek word for hypocrite is hypocrite. <laughs> and the English word for hypocrite is hypocrite. In fact, it's one of those few words that just translates straight through. Uh, but interestingly, the Greek word or the meaning for hypocrite uh, meant actor, if you hadn't heard that before. A hypocrite uh, was actually an actor. And so uh, if, if you're an actor in the old, old amphitheatres in 
first, first century time of Jesus there, the, the hypocrites would do the acting. And, and uh, they were a hypocrite because if they were to play a joyful part, they would literally put on a joyful mask. You know those big funny masks that you see on the outside of theatres or in that sort of scene? They'd put on a big smiling mask. Uh, even though they might be feeling sad on the inside, they'd put on the joyful mask. And if they needed to play a sad or a grieving part, they would, they would put on a grieving mask, even though they might be happy on the inside. And so fundamentally, all of hypocrisy is acting. And the whole point of what what Jesus is saying is that when you see hypocrisy in the Greek form, there is a disconnect between what is in the heart and what is presented to the outside world. Is that a fair definition of hypocrisy? The, the, The point is Jesus is saying it's fundamental in the nature of the human heart out of our own desire to want to be righteous and right is to put masks on to the watching world in order to cover up what we're really like. It, it hides this, you know, and, and Jesus says that that's fine to do it on stage, but it's absolutely devastating if you do it in your everyday life, right? And to which some of you are going, I'm not a hypocrite, you know, I don't do anything like that, to which I said, I'd say to you, uh, have you ever had kids? <laughs> you know, like kids, kids show you up for your hypocrisy all the time. You like, you tell them not to lie. Look, don't lie. You just lied. You just called them. Don't, you just lied to me then. Don't lie. Go to your room. And then they turn around and say to you, well, you just lied on the phone. Because you said to John that you couldn't go out because you're really, really busy, but we're just hanging here at home. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> right? We constant, Jesus says we constantly put on these masks. And the reason why is this. He, he says it in, in verse 30, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. And what he's getting at is this. This is the first thing you need to do when we're we're thinking about how do we find the resource to extend God's grace. The first thing that we need to do is do we recognise our heart's tendency for what I call deflection infection. Deflection infection. This constant subconscious way that the heart operates to to deflect who we really are in the issue Uh, by doing all sorts of different things. And the primary way that we do this, Jesus says, is through a judgmental spirit. That's, That's what's interesting when you see this. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. He says the first form of deflection is a judgmental spirit. And the way that it works is it's when you're in a situation of unreconciliation, and I'm sure you guys would never do this, but I'll just I'll use myself as an example. You get into a situation where someone's hurt you or said something or do something, and you stew on that for a little bit, and then the stewing on that uh, keeps going on about how in the wrong they are and how in the right you are. And then in order to justify how in the right you are, you start moving away from the actual issue at hand and you just start attacking their character. You're like, I, you know, I, and I can't believe them. Like, they turned up late to that dinner that I had four months ago. And, uh, I, and you know what? They don't even wear lipstick. <laughs> they don't even wear lipstick, for crying out loud. <laughs> You know, have you ever found that moment where this, the self-justification starts to become so ridiculous that it moves away from the main issue? And what it is, it's this judgmental, it's this judgmental spirit trying to put on the mask, to, to, push, to push the realities of your own heart, your own unforgiveness and your own flaws so far away from the situation that you get what I call deflection infection. Has that ever happened to you? Surely not. If it does, that is the first sniffles of deflection infection when you start justifying through stupid sort of stuff. And look, part of the reason is I think we find it scary to look at our own hearts. We, I think we like the rage that we get ourselves in with people so we don't have to look at our own hearts. 
Have you ever noticed how, have you noticed how no one ever just walks up to a mirror? Again, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but no one ever just walks up to a, you know, when you walk up to a mirror, you sort of push the chest out a little bit. You sort of, you know how people got their angles, they sort of go, go, go a bit sideways, like to, to a mirror like. Notice how no one ever wa- walks up to, maybe it's just me, but <laughs> the part of the reason we don't like looking at ourselves. What's the spiritual equivalent? Jesus says it's this, a judgmental spirit, the self-justification, is the way that you know that your heart is suffering from deflection infection. You're compounding the unreconciliation by trying to hide what the real issue underneath is, and he gets into the real issue. And I find him so frustrating for this reason, because like Jesus is the master psychologist. (laughs) And so he says, you're deflecting all the time for this reason. And he asks you and I this question. If we're in unreconciliation, he asks us this, is being right the real cause of the fight? Like when it all comes down to it and you're not reconciled, is it because you just want to be right? <laughs> he says this, why are you seeing the speck in your brother or sister's or your friend's eye, your mother's eye, your son's eye, your daughter's eye? Why are you seeing all the specks in that when you don't see the plank in your own eye? Now this word plank that he talks about, it's a very specific Greek word that doesn't translate to, to English. And the word that he uses is, uh, for plank is really means uh, the load-bearing beam of a house. So Jesus is saying, why are you worried about a speck of sawdust when you've got a load-bearing beam of wood stuck in your own eye? <laughs> now, there's two ways to read why Jesus is talking like that. It's, it's a really interesting image. Uh, the first one is he's just trying to be funny, and Jesus was funny a lot of the time in the Bible. That's another sermon. Uh, but I don't think in this case he's trying to be funny. I think what he's trying to demonstrate is the issue at hand underneath this is way bigger than you realise. That it's not just about the fight. There's something underneath all of our hearts that's way bigger than we realise. It's a plank in the eye. And part of the issue is, and part of the reason why we're still in unreconciliation, and part of the reason why we can't resolve it, is with a plank in the eye, you can see it, but you can't really see it. Does that make sense? Like on one, on one hand, you can see it because you've got a plank in your eye, is what he's saying. You, you've, you've been like that when you, know, when you get a bit of dirt in the side of your eye and then if you put your hand over the other, everything looks fuzzy. Anyone? Yeah. Jesus just exaggerates that. So he says, like on one hand, you know things are not right because things are fuzzy. You know it's possible that you're not seeing the world clearly, but you can't really put your finger on it because you can't look at the thing that's in your eye. And what he's... What he's getting underneath all of that is the thing that we can't really see clearly is our inherent desire to want to feel like we are right or righteous all the time. Is being right really the cause of the fight? And whenever you sense that, whenever you sense that you, you are not seeing things clearly, then there's the opportunity to come back to the gospel, is to come back to everything that we've been hearing about for three weeks, that whilst we were sinners, not good deeds versus bad deeds, whilst we were living for ourselves, whilst we were trying to run the world our way, Christ died for us. The gospel is God came in spite of all the lying, the cheating, the mucking around, all of that junk, God came in spite of all of that. And what happens is as, as, as you sense the deflection infection and realise that you're not seeing things clearly and as you move back to this dynamic of constantly re-preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again, then what you come to start to realise is if God is holy and God is right and God is beautiful and God, even though in his cosmic rightness, didn't come to be right but came to reconcile, 
then isn't it logically crazy that in the middle of this little spat that I've got on going on in here, that I'm going to absolutely stand upon my little self-made righteousness? And therefore, what happens is this, that that the more I become focused on what God has got to do on me, the less I become focused on what he's got to do in you. And there breaks the cycle. Because isn't the cycle of unreconciliation the moment of self-justification and anger and self-justification and anger more and more and more until the distance between you and that friend and that loved one gets greater and greater and greater? A plank in the eye until we come to that awareness of what God needs to do in me. We can never move through. And that's the point of breakthrough, isn't it? Have you been there? When you're trying to extend grace to someone that you're really, really frustrated with. Like someone's got to break the impasse, right? And so it's almost like not only at the cosmic level, John chapter 1, is there this inbreaking of God into the world at the cosmic level, but at the personal level in relationship, Jesus is constantly breaking into this vicious cycle of unreconciliation and saying, Oi, whoa, whoa, I broke into your life first. I extended grace to you first. You're going to have to work out how you're going to extend grace to the other person. And so that's what you and I have got to wrestle with this morning. And can I say... Uh, this is not easy. Are you feeling this? I know that you're feeling it. You're way too quiet this morning. <laughs> I felt it. That's why I didn't want to preach this. There has, there has to come a point where we remember that God, in spite of all of my own junk, came in and extended grace to me. And it frustrates the heck out of me. <laughs> That as a follower of Jesus, if I'm really clear in what he's saying, he's like, you take the first step. Because we live in a world of relational brokenness. And the whole dynamic that Jesus has just explained to us will absolutely go on unchecked for all eternity. And by the way, you know, C.S. Lewis would said that that dynamic left unchecked for eternity, you know what you call that? That's called hell. Hell's a little piece of this unreconciled, judgmental swirling going on for all eternity. And part of the beauty of God's breaking in is he says, like, if you're willing to pay the cost for all of that, we can break that thing down. And so God came in in spite of all of that to be amongst people in spite of them. And so the good news is this Christmas is you have the opportunity in the most beautiful and wonderful ways to show God to people who would never turn up to church and never turn up to a carols and seize the church like the way I described it at the beginning of the message. You have an opportunity to show God to them, not through bringing them here, but by extending grace to them. And you want to know the bad news? That's the good news. You want to know the bad news? The bad news, it's, it's going to have to cost you because grace ain't cheap. And grace is always expensive to the giver. It's shocking to the observer because it's expensive, but it's traumatic to the receiver. And so maybe this Christmas, maybe this Christmas, you're going to have an, an, an in spite of opportunity. <laughs> and it won't be effective and it won't work <laughs> until you first remove the plank from your own eye. And so that's Jesus' simple question for you this morning. He just says to you, got any planks? Are you willing to remove a plank so miraculously you might be able to extend some grace? The people you treasure, 
And ironically, half the time in our lives, the people you treasure are the ones that you can see have planks in their own eyes and are so full of it that they're literally wearing the plank. <laughs> you know, it's those people, maybe just maybe this Christmas, if you give them that gift. And I'm not over-exaggerating when I say this. It could change their life. So are you willing to extend grace to them this Christmas? And look, I think it comes down to this as we finish. Like, I know most of you, it's the 22nd of December, so most of you have your house ready, don't you? You know, it's like that back home in our complex where people have got the lights out and they've got the motorised doggy thing out the front. I don't even know what a dog with puppies and lights has got to do with Christmas, but it's out the front of our house at the moment. And if I'm honest with you, I'm a little bit jealous because it looks awesome. You know, we've got, we've got the trees up. We've got the presents out. In, in, in other words, I know most of you here have got your house ready for Christmas, but my question to you this morning, is your heart ready for Christmas? And, and you may well invite some of these people that you need to extend grace right into that house and your heart is not ready to show God to them. Is your heart ready for Christmas this year? He didn't come to be right. He came to reconcile. And in the most frustrating of ways, all he asks of us logically is that we would do the same. That through the pain and through the cost of us, we would extend a little grace to someone who's not expecting it and in our minds doesn't deserve it. That was the conclusion. I'm just going to free will as a pastor before I pray. Um, I know it's not easy, guys. And I know it's extremely difficult. And I know for many of you, um, you feel like you're on the other side of it, that you'd love to extend grace if you could just be in front of the person to begin with. And to be able to have a conversation with you and that's not available to you this Christmas. Hey, I'm sorry. But at the same time, I'm praying for each and every one of you that as we move into this season, that God would grant you the opportunities to model what he's modelled to to us wherever you may go this Christmas. But most of all, if you're feeling some of that pain, know that you're not alone. It's so pastorally common this time of year. And all of the glitz and the carols and all the stuff that we sing wonderfully around all of here, it is just a weird thing that mucks with our heads as we get to Christmas. That on one hand, we should be feeling so happy. (laughs) And then we don't. I get it. I understand it. And we walk together in all of this as we head into this season. Knowing that um, it's not easy. You may not fix it by the 25th. And please don't hear this message and think that I'm saying that you should. Uh, But I'm hoping and praying that in your lives this Christmas, um, God might give you a bit of a miraculous breakthrough in some of these unreconciled relationships. And that true gift that you're hanging for might um, might really happen, whether it not be uh, this Christmas, but at some point in the near future. Um, Let me pray for you now. Father, I pray for us. I pray for those in this moment that there's no doubt that as I've been talking through what we've been talking through, uh, that each and every one of us uh, could think of someone in our lives at the moment that we wish things were more reconciled with. And so, Father, I don't even pray for the solution just yet. I pray that you would uh, give us each uh, just a piece about the whole situation, that, Lord, that you are working ahead of us in all of this. The peace to know that you're ahead of us the courage, the courage to approach you and to recognise that the first step forward 
may very well be the work that you need to do in our own hearts. And so as we come to the communion table now, and as we reflect and experience your grace in the most tangible form, Father, I would pray that each and every one of us that call ourselves followers of you, Lord Jesus, would have the openness and the courage to see ourselves for who we really are and allow you to begin the work at breaking these relational impasses from the inside out. Be with us now, Father, whatever it may be that we need in this moment. Peace, courage, patience. May we receive that from you now by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more info and all the latest Northside news and events, visit northsidechurch.org.au or download our app today.